The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome one and all to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, Jesse Ventura is here with us. We're going to be talking about his two books. One's called... 63 documents the government doesn't want you to read. The other one is called Democrips and Rebloodlicans. Jesse Ventura, right now on Night Fright. Folks, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. Tonight is one you don't want to miss. Always controversial, but more often than not, bang on. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. Inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza. First person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com. Yeah, so therefore I'm getting a call from a foreign country, which must put me high on the list of potential, since we all are. According to Senator Lindsey Graham, we need this to fight terrorism. So what he's essentially saying to every American citizen is, you are all potential terrorists, so therefore we must monitor what you do. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jesse Ventura today. How great is that? He's uh, on the phone all the way from the United States. Where in the United States are you, Jesse? I'm in Minnesota right now. Oh, you're in uh, Minnesota. I spend the winters in Mexico, and then uh, about three weeks ago, I came back home to Minnesota, and uh, I'll be here until at least the fall before I will go back to Mexico again. I don't particularly like snow, and uh, so I, I make it my point not to live in snow in the winter. I don't blame you. Listen, there's 34 million Canadians listening right now, Jesse, that want to know your address in Mexico so we can spend the winter with you as well. Well, unfortunately, I live off the grid down there. I don't have an address. I live an hour from pavement and an hour from electricity. There you go. So none of, none of my Canadian friends will ever find me down there, as will none of my United States friends either, unless I want them to. Unless you want them to. Folks, Jesse Ventura. Like, well, remember, remember Apocalypse Now? Of course. Yeah, well, when I go to Mexico, I'm kind of like the, the colonel. The colonel. Um, what was his name? Um, I can't even remember uh, now. Uh, yeah. I, I hated the film personally. I couldn't stand it. Oh, let's talk about that because you, uh, you, you know, you're a Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL, and uh, did you serve overseas? Were you in country at all? Yeah, well, I served 17 months, two tours in Southeast Asia, but 
the only, no, I didn't. The thing I didn't like about Apocalypse was it was so over the top. It was so clearly done by somebody who knew nothing about what was how things worked over there. You know that this guy could go off by himself and become his own master <laughs> on his own with the, with the locals and this. I think that that's a bit over the top. Can you talk about any of the missions that you were? No, I don't there? do that. I, okay, I, fair I'm, I, I, I served. I served honorably and was discharged way back in 1975. I think was when I got my final discharge. And no, that's I don't. Uh, anything that I did overseas remained overseas. Okay, I understood, my friend. Um, we're broadcasting out of an area called Kingston, and there's a big CFB here, Canadian Forces Base. Mm-hmm. And this is where we train our uh, personnel to become officers. I guess it would be uh, uh, like Annapolis or... Okay, uh, you sure, know, or uh, West Point or there whatever. You there you yeah. go. Um, yeah. so, I was an enlisted man. I enlisted right out of high school. and Although when I won governor, I went to third on the salute list, president, vice president, head of state. Not bad. And so I'd get, if I went to a naval base, I'd get six bells when I was governor. As well you w- should. Which was quite an ego trip for a former E-4 petty officer third class, you know, that now the officers had to salute me. It was really, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever work in tandem with the Canadian Forces, Jesse, just out of curiosity? Uh, I don't recall I ever did. Uh, if I would have been, it would have been with your equivalent to us. The, you know, your, it would be Canadian frogmen. Okay. Understood. Because that's what I was in in our Navy. Right. And, so, and we wouldn't work with our own other people. We, we're a very tight-knit community, so if there would have been interaction, it would have obviously been like, like with the British SAS. We have something you know, called that's the, that's Force the British team. equivalent that the guys that James Bond came from. Right, exactly. Um, you know, and that would be our equivalent who we would work with in another country. So uh, I don't recall ever working with the Canadian frogmen. I'm sure you have them, uh, but I never worked with any. Fair enough. Now, Jesse, you've given your whole life to service, I would say. Service no, I haven't. Country. Not at all. I wrestled for 15 years. Well, you were still inspiring young kids, younger kids, I feel. Well, that wasn't service. That was capitalism at its finest. Do you regret that, then? No, not a bit. I'm a capitalist. Fair regret. enough. Regret? Heck no. I, my job was to anger people to the point where they'd spend their hard-earned money to see me get my butt kicked. And when that didn't happen, I went to the bank. And just cashed the check. Sure. That's business. That's what makes the world go round. And do I know? I don't regret it a bit. It was a fun time in my life. It was uh, interesting. I I made it to all 50 states in the the United Mm -hmm. States and many of your Canadian provinces. That's great. You know, and why, why would I not like that? And the money was was very well... uh... Well, the money was... uh, We advertised we made a lot more than what we actually did until Vince McMahon went national. And then when I was on board with Vince National, of course, that opened up a whole new level and we went to another plane of the entertainment world. Was it an um, a natural extension for you then to go into acting right right after uh, you finished your wrestling career? Uh... I would say it'd go back before that, but it was when I came out of the military, I, I had thoughts of playing pro football. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, when I, I went to college for one year, 
and I really enjoyed theater. In fact, I did Aristophanes' The Birds, which is a Greek comedy, mm -hmm. in college. And I really enjoyed that. And then I saw pro wrestling. I'd seen it as a kid, but never really paid any more attention to it as I went into young adult. And then I realized that wrestling provided both things I liked, athleticism with theater. I could have both. And so that I found to be very interesting. And so I spent 15 years being a wrestler, which is really like live theater, because when you're performing, you can't take anything back. There's no retakes like in movie making. That's right. When you make a movie, heck, the, the director may shoot. I heard Stanley Kubrick, it wasn't beyond him to do 30 takes. He'd drive the actors crazy with how many takes he'd do. You know, but that was Stanley's style and who, who questions him. That's his style. But uh, in wrestling, you're not afforded that. It's like live theater. Once you've stated the line, it's gone. And you have to go from there. So if you flood the line up, you have to work your way around it. So there's a lot of improv involved. Oh, totally. Thinking on your feet. Absolutely. I, when I taught at Harvard, one of my classes was how pro wrestling prepares you for politics. And when I was through, the young, bright minds of Harvard, I think, agreed with me totally that pro wrestling was a good preparation to politics. You have to analyze what's happening in the moment. And, then and you have to be able to communicate and talk. The money's made at the mic. The uh, money isn't made by the stuff you do in the ring. The money's made at the microphone, at least in my era. In your era. Now, when you're drawing upon certain aspects to create a character, either in wrestling or as a performer in the movies, where do you go for that inspiration? Do you do research yourself? Well, in wrestling, I created Jesse the Body. So virtually, and when Vince McMahon put me on the mic, it was the greatest orders that I ever got. The first time I went on the mic as a first-time bad guy heel announcer, Vince came up to me and says, here's how you operate. If you believe it, it's true. <laughs> and I thought, this is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, to, to have the handcuffs taken off, if you believe it, it's true. I mean... Give that to a villain in wrestling? Oh, my goodness, that's the dream job. Jesse, when you became governor of Minnesota, did yeah. those handcuffs come off, or were they put on? Well, certainly I, it was a learning process because I'm very outspoken, and it took me a while to adjust that when you become governor, you can't really be as outspoken as you were as a citizen because as a citizen, I only represent Jesse Ventura. But as a governor, I represent all the people of Minnesota. I see. And okay. so in light of that aspect, I think you learn to control yourself a little more because you realize that, you know, if, if I only represent Jesse Ventura, hell, I'll say what I want. But I represent, you know, a state of, you know, I, oh, how many million people are we now? I don't know, five, six, seven million, whatever we are here. And, uh, you know, and you have to bear that in mind, that you're their representative. You're, you're the leader of this state, of the great, one of the 50 leaders of what the United States of America is. And so you need to behave accordingly. Just like you will never see a scandal about me in politics. 
anything sexual or all this stuff. My belief was, don't you bring to the job a certain amount of uh, respect for the position you hold? Why would you behave if you're a womanizer? Can't you contain yourself while you're in office and show respect for the job that the people have given you and that you've wanted to do? You would think. You would think, think they would, but yeah. they don't. And that's why it ties into my books, Democrats and Republicans. They're no different than the street gangs. Let's talk about your book. Folks, we're speaking with Jesse Ventura tonight. How great is that? All the way from Minnesota. Uh, his new book out is the paperback version of the hardcover book. It's called Democrips and Rebloodlickens. And, of course, um, he's making reference to the Crips and the Bloods in uh, And Los the key Angeles. title is the subtitle, No More Gangs in Government. No More Gangs in Government. Let's talk about what's going on. You had made reference to it at the outset of the show. Let's talk about what's happening with the NSA. And folks here in Canada, don't think we're immune to what's happening (laughs) (laughs) because we have our own surveillance and it's uh, something called Communications and Security Establishment Canada. And it was set up originally by Paul Martin, Prime Minister Paul Martin, who's been on the show, by the way, folks, um, back in 2004, shut down in 2008. But under Defence Minister Peter McKay, it has been started up again, and uh, it's based on the same exact template that the NSA has there. So let's talk about that. Well, and, 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 how, and has Canada been attacked by terrorists? Uh, no, we've thwarted the, uh, the few attacks that were... Well, then why, why, why would, again, the same thing I said. When Senator Lindsey Graham says that they needed to fight terrorism, well, that means they have to intercept Jesse Ventura's phones and text messages because why? I'm a potential terrorist? Doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. And it also, it's, the point is, if you go back, yes, we all want to be safe. Yes, we all expect our government to do what they can, but not at the expense of taking our freedoms and violating the Bill of Rights. When the United States of America was formed way back with our forefathers that created our country, they were an experiment. They were going to do government different. And the reason government was different here was because of our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. When, the, when they ignore the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and like they're doing now, destroy it over public safety, well, then we become the same as every country in the world then. Because those are the documents that make us different. And when they're gotten rid of, then we're the same. And so uh, I'm very passionate on that issue, that those, that those are the very threads, the core of what the United States is, and we cannot violate them. And yet our government today doesn't pay any attention to the Bill of Rights at all. It's, it overruns it, and our court system seems to uphold it. And uh, it really, I think the word revolution is not out of the question now. And when I say revolution, it doesn't have to be violent. But we definitely need a revolution in the United States to get back to our Constitution and Bill of Rights, which are there to protect you, the citizens. And they were put there for a reason. And nobody's listening to what Benjamin Franklin said. Here, here I'll, 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 I'll tone it down, but here's what Ben Franklin said. For those that will give up their liberty for security shall have and deserve neither. Precisely. 
because liberty is security. Freedom is security. The only way government can make you safe is to declare martial law and put you under lock and key. Jesse, you were in country in Vietnam, so you knew what was going on behind the scenes. You knew what it took. Not to much. Me. No, no, no. Let's. No, no, no. I got in on the tail end of the war. I was a. I was a 19-year-old kid who just happened to go through Navy SEAL training and was ready to do what I needed to do as a knuckle dragger for my country. I didn't. I wasn't privy to anything more than any other E3 or E4 petty officer or enlisted man would ever know. Unless, other than the fact I had a top secret security clearance and I knew what our operational status was. Beyond our operational status, I didn't know anything more than that. Okay, what I wanted to It's very compartmentalized. You need to understand that. I had a friend who went on to SEAL Team 6, the real elite clandestine one today. That's right. That you hear about. He was involved in the arms for hostages thing back in the 80s. He didn't even know it till it broke on TV. Iran-Contra. He didn't know it. He was given a job to do. Mm. That's all you know. It's fair. Government, people need to understand, government is extremely compartmentalized. In other words, the left hand does not always know what the right hand's doing. As Governor Jesse, were you shocked when you got onto, into office? Were there things that came up that you were shocked about? And as an extension of that, I want to ask you, what is the best way to protect, to protect the citizens of both countries? Um, first of all, was I shot? The only thing that really got to me was when I found out that the CIA was embedded in all state government. Really? Yeah, and I told about that in my first book after I left office. I wanted the public to know this because in the CIA's operational statement, they're not to be operational inside the United States. Why are they violating it? That's the FBI's jurisdiction. Yeah, that's FBI, exactly. You know your homework. That's the FBI's job. Why is the CIA in state government? And for what purpose? What, they think some rogue governor like me, they need to keep an eye on me? You know, excuse me, the people elected me. You know, that was the Minnesota people's choice. Absolutely. But anyway, that aside. Uh, and that's why I, that, that disturbed me. And I, and I went public. Now, I can't name the person or I'd go to jail. You know, that's called outing, uh, you know, and there's, there's laws against that. But I, but I certainly cannot allow the public to know that they are embedded in there, that they have an operative in state government, and only the, only the governor knows. Did you challenge Not this? even the lieutenant governor knew. Really? Yeah, only me and my chief of staff. And when you brought this information forward originally, what was the outcry from the CIA? Were they after you, I guess? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing, really. I also talked about when I was in office for uh, less than a month when the CIA requested me to go to the bottles and I was, I was interrogated basically by 23 members. And I was the, go and I was the governor. But it was under the premises of premise that it was a... Uh, it was a uh, uh, class that I'd be participating in the CIA. <laughs> oh, my God. But I did it. I was patriotic, and I thought it'd be interesting. So I went down there. I immediately called my friend Dick Marcinko. You know who Dick Marcinko is? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Well, he writes the Rogue Warrior books. He's no Navy SEAL. You've seen the books, the sure. Rogue Warrior? Sure. That's Dick Marcinko. Okay. He's an old friend. 
I'm Dick, I knew would know more than me because Dick spent 30 years in the Navy. So I called Dick up and I, when that happened, I told about it in the book. I said, Dick, 23 members of the CIA just conducted an interview with me today. Would you have any idea why they would do that? And Dick started laughing. He said, sure, they didn't see you coming. <laughs> you know, their yeah. job is to predict what's going to happen. And obviously, you caught them. They didn't believe. They they caught caught. Well, what the hell happened? And they probably needed to know: is there more on the horizon, or was it more sinister? Did they want to? Because all they asked me about was the election. Is that right? Yeah. Now, did they want to know things so that they could prevent it from ever happening again? No. Or did they legitimately want to gather intelligence to know why they missed it? When Arnold, I don't know. Were they looking at their own shortcomings, or did it have a more sinister thing to it? Well, we can only speculate, but uh, I wonder if the latter might be more true than false. Sinister. I don't know. Yeah, but it was very interesting. When your friend Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor, has he ever mentioned anything similar? No, I don't time? know. I've never talked to him since he became governor. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay. I visited one time when I was in Sacramento, but he was gone, and so... I just said hi to his staff and, and moved on from there. But I haven't talked to Arnold at all since he became governor. Okay, understood, understood. Okay, let's go back into that NSA thing. And what is the best way? Is there a formula? Is there a template that may be in place that we can look at precedent, perhaps, from the past, maybe from the Second World War, that we could utilize today to protect our citizens properly from the threats that are very real and that are out there? Well, first of all, they're not asking the big question, why are we threatened? Shouldn't that be asked? Well, okay, what let's is answer it, wait, that what is it that, Wait, what is it that compels these small groups of terrorists out in the Muslim world to attack us? After all, remember, Osama bin Laden made the statement, you notice we don't attack Sweden. Good point. Okay. So what, shouldn't we be asking that question? Why are they angry at us? What is it that, they, that offends, that we're offending them with, and maybe we can change us, which in turn will change them? That's a different perspective than one that we've been uh, exposed to by the media on both sides. Well, of the, the point is, oh, we were told by George Bush that they're jealous of our freedoms, and that's why they attacked us. So I guess the solution I'm seeing is that they're taking our freedoms from us, so then they'll no longer be jealous of us, so then we'll be safe and they won't attack us anymore. Is that the mindset? You know, you bring up an interesting point. I grew up in the era, Jesse, when we could cross the border like we were crossing the border of a state or the border of a province. It was that open, and we boasted about that, both countries, that it was the longest unguarded border in the world and now when i go to the states i have to present my passport and i understand all that and i know what's happened since 9-11 but it bothers me it makes me think perhaps in some way they have one well let me say this i go to mexico every year and i drive it i don't fly because i I've, i quit flying when i brought my federal lawsuit I will not go to a U.S. airport and face the Gestapo. Mm. I have metal in my body, so no matter what, I'm going to get sexually assaulted or x-rayed. 
by the Gestapo. I refer to the TSA as the Gestapo. And uh, I, so I drive to Mexico. I've driven it eight years straight there and back. It's 3,000 each way. And I'll give you the example. When I drive into Mexico, going from U.S. into Mexico, mm -hmm. I, nobody's there. Mm -hmm. I drive right across. One time I crossed at Tecate, and the immigration guy was just opening up his office. I pulled in, and I said, Senor, can I get my papers? You know what he said to me? No. He, he turned and looked at me. He goes, ah, get him an Ensenada. He hadn't had breakfast, I guess, so he didn't want to deal with it. So I didn't get them at all. They didn't care. Now, reversing that, when I come back to the United States from Mexico, generally it's a two to three hour wait in five to seven lanes of traffic where the temperature goes as high as 116 degrees. That's what it says on my, on my rearview mirror. And it takes two, and 99% of the license plates are all United States. So it's us coming back to our own country. It's like trying to get into East Berlin now from the Cold War days. I remember, of course. The only thing missing, they don't have the tanks at Checkpoint Charlie. Mm. I'm waiting for those to appear next. Now, I ask this. The United States of America used to be a country that the rest of the world used to try to emulate. They wanted to be like us. They used to look at the United States and put us on a pedestal. Not anymore. We're now, now, I've, I'm living outside the country for four months every year for eight years and speaking to people from other nations outside the country. The United States is now looked at in fear. Fear that if you cross them, they will invade you and attack you. I don't want that to be the United States of America. The United States of America should be a country that all other countries look up to because of our freedom and what we believe in, and our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. We're losing it. We're losing it quick. Okay, let's talk about that. Now, you also talked about Mexico. I want to touch on that because... One of their biggest exports, folks, if you're unaware, is through the cartels, and we're talking about pot marijuana. Let's talk about the legalization of marijuana. Can you tell well, me? Well, it should be that? legal. It's that simple. Uh, Colorado and Washington, the people there took bold steps the last election and voted to legalize. So, January of 2014, marijuana will be legal in Washington State and Colorado. And it'll be interesting what type of showdown with the feds they'll will become of that. Because to me, it ought to be a state's rights issue. If states want to make it legal, they should have every right to do so. Uh, I've always said this, and, you, and here's a good quote, Jesse Ventura quote. Marijuana is to rock and roll what beer is to baseball. <laughs> so imagine if they took away beer at the ball game. What outrage there would be. Then you'd and have yet they try to take marijuana away from rock and roll. And they shouldn't do that. And so I'm for full legalization. I always have been. And I, it also fits into this for a moment. If you're a free society, then how can you go to jail for committing a crime against yourself? In other words, mm -hmm. if you choose to use drugs and they're against the law, well, that's a crime against yourself. How do you go to prison for doing that? 
But the extension of that, of course, is uh, the counter argument. People are going to say, well, that's a slippery slope. You're looking at cocaine. You're looking at ecstasy. Really? Well, then if that's the case, then cigarettes are the first drug of choice of every child in the, in the world. Because every kid smokes a cigarette before they ever do any other drug. And you're going to tell me nicotine and tobacco is not a drug? It's highly addictive. Marijuana is not. Physically, I mean. Yeah. I chewed Copenhagen. I chewed Copenhagen for years, and I quit in 1990. One of the most difficult things I ever did in my life when I went through the withdrawals from it. And yet that's legal. The first drug of choice is tobacco. So if you want to nip the slippery slope, then ban tobacco. And we all know that ain't going to happen. And, folks, I also want to mention um, there was a recent study, I think it was as little as two or three days ago, I was reading in the, uh, in the paper here, out of Tel Aviv, where a doctor had been using tiny amounts of marijuana in test mice uh, to see if their cognitive abilities would be uh, detrimented. And it, quite the opposite happened, actually. It actually increased their resistance, their brain cell resistance to certain uh, bacteria that were floating around and actually made the, um, if you will, the mice smarter, the ones who were taking the marijuana. Small well, amounts. You know, what, you know what else they found? They always say if you smoke pot, you lose your memory. Yes. There's also been studies now, marijuana has been good for Alzheimer's patients. There you go. That it actually does the opposite. That it brings them back to a reality. So there you go. And, and, and I just lost, my wife and I just <laughs> lost one of our dearest friends to breast cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had known her as long as my wife. In fact, we met. The night I met my wife, I met her. They were together. And while she was getting her chemotherapy, her second round of it is all oral. You have to take pills. <laughs> she couldn't, she'd throw them up unless she smoked marijuana. When she would smoke marijuana, she could then do her complete chemotherapy. Now, I challenge anyone. If someone has cancer, they should be able to use anything they want. Anything. To and not be breaking a law. Agreed. She couldn't get it. She had to buy it illegally in Minnesota. Because it's against the law. The doctor couldn't give it to her. Yet the doctor can give you morphine derivatives. Hey, you want some morphine? No problem. <laughs> but not pot. Yeah, but not pot. And I've always said to people, pot is the mildest drug. Pot, if, if you don't want any trouble with anyone on pot, just give them a Jimi Hendrix tape. <laughs> they won't bother you for hours. They'll be occupied in the corner for as long as you need them over there. <laughs> Folks, Jesse Ventura, always controversial, but more often than not, bang on, isn't he? Uh, the book is called Democrips and Republicans, and you can get it at www.nightfrightshow.com. Let me add, common sense today is controversial. I think so. I think it really yeah. is. Yeah. Common so, sense is controversial today. 
The subtitle is No More Gangs in Government, and we're going to talk about that in a second. The JFK Assassination, the definitive book by Brent Holland. From inside the Oval Office to Daily Plaza, first-person witness accounts for yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com One of the things that I was shocked about, and I read this in your book, Child Poverty. And uh, Medicare plays into that, and we just t- touched a little bit on health care in the United States. Now, here in Canada, everybody says Medicare is free. It's not free. We pay high taxes for that. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, however, let me just tell you a very quick story, folks, why I like Medicare. Uh, in 1963, I was six years old. I'm an old fart, folks, and that's a fact. And um, my dad was having chest pains. This is pre-Medicare. Uh, it was Christmas time, and uh, pains up and down his arms and everything. He didn't go to the doctors because it was Christmas time, and we couldn't afford it. I lost my dad a few days after Christmas, and if that was ever a starting point for something called Medicare, I think that is apropos. It saves lives because people don't yeah. think twice about. You know what I think about it? It's just as simple as this. In a country as rich as the United States of America, everyone should be able to go to the doctor if they're sick. Agreed. And it ends right there. Yep. It stops right there. Everyone should have the ability, if they're sick, to see a doctor. In a country as rich as ours, come on. Where's the humanitarian here? If they would simply cut back on corporate welfare, we could have all the, all the, you could see all the doctors you'd need to see. You know, you touch on something, too. The corporations are throwing money ad nauseum to both sides of the fence, the Republicans and the Democrats, left, right, and center. In Canada, we, we have something called... Um, Oh, where we limit the amount of money, folks, uh, that can be actually donated. First of all... I disagree with that. Okay, go ahead, please, go ahead. And I'll tell you why. What you need is open disclosure. What you need is the the candidate must be responsible for every penny that they use. Don't have any outside entities. It has to go right to the campaign committee of the candidate, so the candidate is fully responsible for every, every nickel collected but you the candidate also must do open disclosure must tell the public where the money came from that way hypothetically say i ran for president mm-hmm. and i went to my friend mark cuban and say i know donald trump and i know vince mcmahon and i got the mail to give me 20 million dollars a piece well that's fine as long as i disclose that openly to the public before the election that way the public knows who owns me if indeed I'm owned Mm -hmm. and they can vote accordingly but to me I I would rather see that than the socialism of capping something and saying okay uh, this is all that you can use this is all that can be spent and there's other ways to do that also why not make why not put the onus on television that they can only show so many political ads a day I understand that, too. I I disagree with you on this one, though, Jesse, because I feel it creates an unlevel playing field. I had the wonderful opportunity. Wait a minute. I won on 300 grand. 
When I ran for governor of Minnesota, I only raised $300,000. I actually made more money doing the job than what I spent to get it. Okay, I understand, but... Well, then I didn't win on money. I ran on ideas. And that's... And so, to me, I have no fear as long as the candidate wraps his arms around all the money and it discloses where they got it. And if that offends you as a voter, don't vote for him. Okay, um, I'm just going to give you a case in point, though. I uh, had the wonderful opportunity to speak with Ted Sorensen one afternoon in his apartment, and he said he was trying to run for president right after, well, a few years after JFK had uh, been assassinated. And folks, don't go anywhere, because we are going to be getting to the JFK assassination. Jesse has a new book coming out in the fall with Dick Russell. And he said one of the things that prevented him from running was the lack of money. And I thought, my God, if there was ever a time after Bobby had been killed uh, that we needed somebody like Ted Sorensen as leader of the free world, it would have been then. Well, that that may be true, lack of money, but uh, how did I do it then without money? I mean, I, I was a third-party candidate. I didn't even belong to the two political parties. And I only raised 300000 in Minnesota, and my opponents raised and spent $12 million. Wow, that's a wackadoo, isn't it? That's and a- and yet I won. Why? I was allowed in the debates. The debates are far more important than how much money you raise. The fact that they don't allow a third voice, you should be in, in the, well, you're Canada. I'll speak on behalf of America, the, the United States. The fact that we don't allow a third voice in the debates concerns me way more than the raising of the money. Okay. As long as there's open disclosure. I don't like our system right now because there's not an open disclosure. You don't know who's spending money for who. That's pretty scary because you don't know what's behind a certain... Exactly. Yeah. But if there's open disclosure and the candidate has to take ownership... Mm-hmm. Well, then you blame the candidate, and that's how you solve it, because then the candidate owns it, owns every penny that he collects. And if and if somebody raises a billion dollars and you don't like the fact that they did that, well, then don't vote for them. Find another candidate. It's that simple. Find an alternative. Ultimately, all of this falls onto us. We're responsible. We're the ones that elect them. That's why I've told people in America, the answer is as simple as the nose on your face, but as difficult as climbing at Mount Everest. Stop voting for Democrats and Republicans. You're still in charge. You can do that. It's not against the law. But they won't do it. It's amazing. Our Congress has a 10% approval rating, and yet 90% of them get reelected. Yeah. That was that was absolutely. Now that drives me crazy. What the hell? Yeah. If they're that disliked, remove them. Or pick up the reins and run yourself like you did. Yes, but the point is, it's in our hands. And when all excuses go by the board, ultimately, if we have bad government, it's our fault because we elected them. That's right. And we allowed these two parties to take a stranglehold, like Ralph Nader, the two-party dictatorship. You know, it's funny. I think the three most powerful words ever put to paper is we the people. And folks, you have to realize this, too, uh, here in Canada. 
they work for us. The government works for us. Every one of us has a small business or a big business in this case, and they're called the government. We elect them to work for us. So right now you're their boss. And this is something I feel in Canada, we've got that inverted somehow. How do you feel about that in the United States? Identical. I feel identically the same way, that that they've somehow convinced the people in the United States that that we work for them. That's like on all this stuff with the secretive stuff. Yes. We have every right to know they're using our money, and we have every right to know what they're spending our money on. They don't have a right to withhold what they spend our money on. So we have a right to know everything. Now, I understand certain things have to be kept secret for security or whatever, but once that's passed, that time, then everything should come, become above board. There should be none of this nonsense that they can lock things up for 40 to 50 to 60 years where the public can't know about it. Let's go into the JFK assassination. That's a really good segue. But, you know, it's funny, Jesse. I interviewed a fellow that was uh, a spy for Churchill. He was 86 years old. And um, he is only allowed now to talk about his story because of national security. Folks, uh, we're speaking with Jesse Ventura, Democrips and Rebloodlicans is the name of the book. He's also got another one I'm holding up right now. Uh, 63 documents the government doesn't want you to read. Now, both books were written with a fellow by the name of Dick Russell, whose book I'm holding up right now. When I got into the JFK assassination, folks, long before I was a broadcaster, um, Dick Russell's book, The Man Who Knew Too Much, blew me away. It is an absolutely fabulous book, and uh, I'm probably going to meet Dick uh, down in... I've been chosen as keynote speaker, folks, uh, this year in Dallas and um, for the conference down there, 50th anniversary, and I'm really looking forward to meeting Dick because Dick will be there. Jesse, can you say a few words about Dick, and then we'll talk about the Kennedy assassination? Sure. Well, Dick, I've actually written now four books with him, and our fifth will be out this fall on the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. And, uh, uh, no, Dick's fantastic writer, and uh, he and I he and I met at uh, the 40th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. I was the only politician who showed up. I kind of laughed. I said, I'm the governor of Minnesota. Where's the governor of Texas? Mm. And uh, well, I had just left office. And uh, that's where Dick and I met. And then, lo and behold, we actually are neighbors. He comes to a place in Mexico that's about 15, 20 minutes down the road from where I live. Wow. And we, we met again down there, so it seemed like destiny. And that's where we write the books together. We both are in Mexico, and that's when we team up to where we've written four books now. Our fifth one will be out in, in uh, the fall. And all I can say about Dick is this. Dick fills in my shortcomings. Dick is a phenomenal researcher. I am not. And so we fill the void. Dick does the research, and then I, we both combine, and I'll do the writing. But Dick does all the research and deserves great credit for that because that's how I become so knowledgeable on these subjects that I write about is the unbelievable research Dick Russell does on them. And fans of this show will know that uh, several years ago, Dick was on the show as well. And I, as I said, I am optimistic he'll have the time for an interview when I'm down in Dallas in November. Okay, let's talk about the revelations that uh, have come forth that you're going to be bringing forth in your new book. 
Well, really, it, it's going to cover. We had to limit it to 63 because we thought, again, it's 1963 is the year that John F. Kennedy was killed. So that that's how we came to the number. Uh, it really is. It's it's this is a work for me selfishly because I've determined that I want to go on the record in history for whatever it's worth. It may be worth nothing, but I want everyone to know that the 38th governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, did not believe the Warren Commission and did not believe my country's official story on the murder of my president. And the only way I could do that, I felt, was to write my own book on it. And so we've done some painstaking research and there's going to be some, we've put it all together and we've used we've used some phenomenal people, stuff like Harold Weisberg. I mean, there, yeah, there's a guy. Yeah. This guy's like the godfather of information. Absolutely. Harold has everything. He sued under the Freedom of Information, and he's got like documents that fill up a barn, and they're free to anybody who wants to do research. I'm a huge fan of Harold's. Me too. And so we've gone out and we've compiled what we believe to be the 63 most clear evidence that shows Lee Harvey Oswald did not commit the crime that history has blamed him for. Can you and I think it's time to finally clear the record. And I wanted, I wanted 100 years from now people to know that Jesse Ventura did not buy it, did not buy the official story. And I felt writing a book was the only way to do that. Agreed, agreed. And folks, as I had mentioned before, um, I'm going to be down in Dallas this year. Are you going down to Dallas, Jesse? Uh, they want me to go, and if I go, I either have to drive or take the train, because like I said, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't go to the Gestapo. I don't fly Gestapo Airlines, which is what uh, all the airports are to me in this country now. They're run by the Gestapo. Well, I'll come down, pick you up, and drive you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 we'll see what happens. I mean, I've, I very well could be there. Uh, I don't know what the things in my life, like there was a point that there's some personal matters were going to happen in Mexico that were going to stop me from being able to do that. But now these things have taken a different turn. So there's every bit of chance that I could be down in Dallas. I'd like to be there. It's the 50th anniversary, and I would really enjoy being there. Yeah, I would love to, to meet you too, and uh, that would be just wonderful. It's it's going to be just something very, very special, folks. It's, it is the 50th anniversary already of the JFK assassination, and I just want to tell folks this because this information I'm about to tell you belongs not only to the American people because it's American history, but it also belongs to the world, and that is in those interviews I had with Mr. Sorensen, in a video, he confirms conspiracy and that's all I'm going to say for right now but I'm going to be putting that documentary together for the 50th anniversary with that confirmation right there well, there's a lot of you'll, you'll read in my book also a lot of documents at, see there were actually two conspiracies people need to understand this that's there right. were two yeah. there was the conspiracy to actually murder the president and then there was the follow up conspiracy to cover, to cover it up, it up. That's right. And both of those are as bad as each. And, uh, and so people need to be clear on that, that there are participants that weren't involved in both. You know, there were, there were participants right. that may have been involved in both the murder and the cover-up. 
but there are also participants who only were part of the murder and participants who were only part of the cover-up. That's right. And, folks, you're going to find that in Jesse's new book as well. And uh, hopefully, if Jesse agrees, we're going to have him back on, and we're going to talk extensively about the JFK assassination when that book uh, arrives on the bookshelves. As always, all the books we talked about today, you can get at www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Jesse, um, I've kept you longer than we had agreed upon, but I'm just going to leave you with this. I just want you to know that most Canadians feel about Americans that you're more than just neighbors. We're family. And I think a good case in point is during 9-11, when all the planes were grounded, there simply just wasn't enough hotels in a place called Gander, Newfoundland, where a lot of the planes were forced to land. Um, So people took Americans into their homes. And it wasn't done so much out of desperation. It was done because we're family. And like any family, we have our ups and downs, folks, but we're family. Nobody comes to well, them but through us. Let, let me add to that, then, since we're family, and I would say this also to the Mexican people, since we're family, let's make it, let's tear those borders down more and make ourselves more accessible to each Amen. other because borders are nothing but man-made obstacles That's between people. Right. And we're inhabitants of the whole world, and the borders are all man-made. And right away when there's a chain-link fence, you suspect the person on the other side. Let's get rid of the borders on both ends and make it easier for all of us to get to know each other and get along with each other on the planet. Amen. I always say that uh, the United States and Canada show the rest of the world how to live because of our great contributions. But but, but again, I will counter that by saying that Mexico shows us how to live where the weather's better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why do you think let's, I want... not include, let's not include my favorite country to the south Because I have great love for the country of Mexico And beautiful people as well there, folks and Absolutely Absolutely And Jesse, why do you think I offered to come and drive you in November? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I appreciate it i got to run because i got more calls coming in Righto, thank you so much for spending Thank time you, my pleasure We'll do it again in the fall Bye-bye Bye, take care Jesse Ventura, folks, how great was that? I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all later. First-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.